mindfulness mode 485. Those moments when we can silence that inner chatter, kind of the crazy talk, that to me is yoga. And so sometimes I can experience that out on a run or a hike. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, guess what? We're going to be talking about one of your favorite topics today, and that is yoga. And so much more, too, because we've got an amazing author, an amazing content creator. She has done so much. I have Kelly DiNardo with me today. Kelly, are you in mindfulness mode? I am. Yes, I'm 100% here. (laughs) That's fantastic. That's a great start. Kelly DiNardo is a writer, like I said, and she's a yoga enthusiast. She's the author of several books, including Living the Sutras, a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat. She's written for the Oprah Magazine, for Martha Stewart Living, for so many other publications. She's been teaching yoga for more than 15 years, and she's the owner of the Past Tense Yoga Studio in Washington, D.C. So, Kelly, it is really going to be fun talking to you. What does mindfulness mean to you? Thank you, Bruce, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Mindfulness for me is being singularly focused and fully in the present moment, whatever it is you're doing. So the exact opposite of multitasking. Right. And so many of us try to do multitasking and we then, at least I know I realize, bad idea. You know, I didn't do any of those things very well. I better just stick with one thing. But I heard today, somebody told me that women are much better at multitasking than men. Is that true? Oh, I don't know. I'd be curious to know if there's any science to back that up. I don't think any of us are particularly good at multitasking. So I don't think maybe so being a little bit better at it is still just a shade of gray higher and not something we should be aiming for anyway. <laughs> well, Kelly, you have a very cool podcast yourself and Thank I was checking it out. Wow. You've had some terrific guests and you have a co-host. Tell me about your co-host. So my co-host is Amy Pierce Hayden. She's also the co-author of um, my last book. And she was my yoga teacher when I lived in Madison, Wisconsin. And that's how we met. And we had these really kind of funny similarities. We both owned yoga studios long distance. Hers was in New York, mine in DC. And we moved to Madison around the same time, had children about the same age. And we became friends and then co-authors and now co-hosts for the podcast. And do you both live in DC now? No, she is still in Madison. We just recently moved back to DC. I see. So you do the podcast uh, remotely then? We do. Yes. Mm -hmm. That must be kind of fun. It's nice. It's a great excuse to make sure we chat every once in a while or more often than We might otherwise, because life gets in the way sometimes. So Kelly, what drew you to yoga and how old were you at the time? Yeah, I had a really on again, off again practice for a long time. I mean, even starting in high school. And it wasn't until after college, I was working my first job at USA Weekend and USA Today. And I was starting to train for my first long distance run And USA Today had this great gym and they brought in a yoga instructor 
every week, probably a couple times a week, but I started going to the Thursday night class as a way to counterbalance the long distance runs. Mm -hmm. And like so many people, I came to the mat for looser hamstrings and ended up staying for all the reasons people stay on the mat. But that was when my practice became really consistent. So Kelly, is running a form of mindfulness for you? It can be. Um, My best runs certainly are, but there are you know, certainly those runs where I'm thinking, Oh, how many more miles do I have to go? Is this over yet? So it, it kind of depends. Yeah. Are you still a runner today? I am. I went this morning. Oh, good, good. So Absolutely. how many, how many days a week do you run? <laughs> I aim for three to five. That's not happening right now because my husband started a new job and is traveling a lot, but we'll get back there. So yeah, I aim for about three to five. And how far do you usually run each day? During the week, it's usually just about three to four miles, 30, you know, 30, 40 minutes. And on the weekends, I aim for a slightly longer run, five to six miles. One of the things, I, you know, I used to run real distances and I sometimes miss that, sometimes don't. <laughs> sometimes don't. Um, I actually realized that the long distance runs and that level of exertion for more than an hour was spiking my cortisol levels in a way that wasn't healthy, that wasn't a good spike in my cortisol. And and I have a great functional medicine doctor I worked with to just kind of find the right balance. So uh-huh. I don't really run for more than an hour anymore. That's a long run for me now. Do you ever run on a treadmill? I do. Yes. I do not enjoy running outside when it's cold, windy. I need optimal condition, <laughs> optimal okay. running conditions. So, so does that mean you usually run on a treadmill then? Well, that's not true. When we lived in Madison, yes, I ran on a treadmill most of the year. Now that we are living in DC, I have been just running outside and kind of hope that I only need to save the treadmill for January, February, and July and August when it's painfully hot and humid. Right, right. I want to talk with you about your most recent book, Living in the Sutras. What prompted you to write this book? Where did you get the motivation to do that? As a freelance writer, I get a lot of books sent to me to potentially review, to maybe use the authors as sources for stories, to give me ideas. And I had a series of journals that were very similar. And one of them had the word yoga in the title and one of them did not. And they were basically the same. And the one with the word yoga in it didn't really have anything to do with yoga as I understood it. And truthfully, I got really frustrated and a little (laughs) little judgmental that people would just throw the word yoga onto a book title to sell more books, which was how I saw it. Maybe that's not fair or correct, but that was my sort of initial reaction. And I put the books aside and I went to the lunchtime yoga class and Amy gave this really beautiful Dharma talk at the beginning of her class. And I forget what it was about, but whatever it was, I remember it was on the sutras, which is this ancient text. And I remember thinking, this is what a yoga book should actually be about. And it was like, ding, 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 ding. (laughs) So I let the idea percolate for a while. And then I had coffee with Amy one day and I said, you know, I've had this idea and would you want to work on this with me? And she said, you know, yes, that it dovetailed really perfectly with something she had been thinking about for a long time because the yoga sutras are really an important foundational yogic text, but they are 
very dense and esoteric and I think hard to understand. And so certainly the way I approached them originally was I went through one training with them and then shoved them on my bookshelf and didn't really come back to them. They didn't feel modern or personal or relevant to my life really. And it was Amy and her Dharma talks in class that started to change that. So yes, that was our whole goal was to make this really beautiful philosophy and spiritual text personal and modern and relevant so that it's useful to people and they're actually interested in in reading it. Right. And so tell me what makes your book different because there are so many hundreds of books out there about yoga. Why should our listeners grab your book? Sure. And there's not just hundreds of books about yoga. There are hundreds of books about the sutras too. So I think one reason is that this looks at the the philosophy of yoga, the pieces of yoga that are not asana, that are not the physical practice in a very accessible way. And it introduces the broader concepts of what yoga is and the process of it. One reason is that it's modern and accessible and there's a ton of tangible practices. The other is that after each commentary, we include a reflection or a journal prompt. So people can make it incredibly personal and incredibly tangible and really work through the process of what the eight limb system is. So tell me, what does yoga mean to you, to Kelly DiNardo? Yeah, you know, it's changed. As I mentioned, it started very much as a physical practice and now it is a more holistic practice. Mm -hmm. I still love a good physical asana class, but it is also a more mindful practice. So the definition from Patanjali, who wrote the Yoga Sutras, is that yoga is ceasing or stilling the fluctuations of the mind. So those moments when we can silence that inner chatter, kind of the crazy talk, that to me is yoga. And so sometimes I can experience that out on a run or a hike or coloring with my son or whatever it may be. It doesn't always have to be postures the way we we see them on Instagram. Yeah. Do you personally teach yoga yourself? I do. I have taken a little bit of a break, but I am going to start teaching again this weekend, actually. Oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Well, tell me, if I went to a yoga studio and I was looking for a yoga teacher, what are some of the questions I would ask? Of the yoga teacher or of yourself? Well, that's, that's, I was thinking of the yoga teacher so that I know that I get the right teacher for me. Yes. Well, so the first thing I would do is look to see if the yoga studio has an introductory offer. Most of them do, and it'll give you an opportunity to try a lot of different instructors and styles and see what fits for you. When you do that, when you look for their introductory offer on the studio's website, I would shoot an email to the studio, the owner, whoever's answering and say like, you know, I'm Kelly and I'm in my early forties and I haven't practiced in a while or ever. And what would you recommend? Or I'm Bruce and I've been practicing for 15 years and I'm really interested in advanced vinyasa flow class. And most places will give you some suggestions. And then when you go to the studio for the first time, I would introduce yourself to the instructor Let them know if you have any injuries or conditions or, I mean, it could be anything, pregnancy, high blood pressure, low blood pressure, things that might 
make a difference. Or if you're training for a marathon, that would be something like my hamstrings are tight or I just did 20 miles yesterday. So so I would let the instructor know all of that. And then, I mean, I think that's essentially a good place to start. And I would say, try different teachers, try different studios. I'm a firm believer that there is a practice for everyone. And I think people who don't like it or are turned off by it haven't found the right practice or instructor for them. Tell us about hot yoga. Is that a good thing to do? It depends. (laughs) I enjoy hot yoga on occasion. The benefit to it is that your muscles loosen up a lot faster. So you can certainly be more flexible more quickly. I also just enjoy getting hot and sweaty and feeling like I've worked. I don't think it's for everyone. I usually caution beginners away from it because you don't know where your physical edge is. And it could be really easy to go too deep into a pose and end up overstretching or pulling a muscle in a way that will keep you from practicing again. So yeah, I think you have to really understand and know your body and your limits before you take hot yoga. Right. So it's better to start slow then. Always. I think with everything in life. Sure. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Or most things. What have you learned about mindfulness from your children? I know you have a son. Do you have more children? No, I just have one son. Yeah, what have I learned from him? That's a great question. He definitely keeps me in the present. If I am distracted and looking at my phone or not paying attention, he's that is usually when he's going to get himself into some sort of trouble. So there's that. The other thing is in yoga, we talk a lot about how everything changes. Nothing, nothing is the same or constant. And that is actually very reassuring with raising a child. So when he's having a tough period or not sleeping through the night as a baby or having tantrums as a three-year-old or whatever it might be, I keep telling myself that this will not last. This will not last. And it at the same time, when he's being charming and lovely and wants to snuggle in the morning, I like to tell myself to, to like really cherish that because that also will not last. You know, some point he is not going to want to snuggle with me or hold my hand on the walk to school. So that keeps me really rooted in the present moment. Yeah, that's good advice. My son just recently went off to college. So that day comes and then, wow, that's a real transition. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's been very exciting, you know, having a son and bringing him up and so on. And my wife and I have just been very excited with this whole process. But yeah, uh, that's cool. Well, your podcast, Living It, is really a great podcast. I know on my podcast, I learn a lot from my guests. What are some of the things you've learned by having your podcast? Ooh. Great question. Well, one of my favorite things, which I knew, but I think he said it so beautifully, Rod Stryker in our first season said that you can do asana, the physical part of the practice, and never practice yoga. And you can practice yoga and never do asana. That was really mind-blowing to me. I mean, he just worded it so beautifully. Michelle Gielen was also a guest on the first season and she just has some really beautiful, tangible practices for cultivating contentment. And I really enjoyed having her on. 
This season has been such a treat. Let's see, who have we talked to? We talked to MC Yogi about ahimsa or non-harming. And I'm always really inspired by people who have come through turbulent times and have such a positive attitude. Rosie Acosta, who has a great podcast called Radically Loved and actually inspired us to start our podcast when she had us on hers. Same thing. I mean, she came through a really turbulent childhood and teenage life to live this beautiful life where she's helping others. And I think that's really inspiring. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, you know, writing a book like you did with Living the Sutra, that takes a certain amount of mindfulness in itself. Now, you've been a a writer for years. I know Mm -hmm. that. But would you share with our listeners some of the mindfulness techniques that can help to accomplish the writing of a book? Well, (laughs) I think it's really helpful to eliminate distractions. So I tend to turn off my email and put my phone on do not disturb when I'm deep into writing. I think the hardest thing for a lot of people with both a meditation practice and and a writing practice is what I call the button chair issue, right? Like the hardest part is putting, some can be putting your butt in the chair to actually do it. And so I think the discipline for both things is really important. So whatever tricks you have to create that discipline is really important, whether, you know, you put it on your calendar or, you know, you commit to a certain number of words a day, whatever it might be. I think those things are really important. Well, I do too. And I think not only putting the butt in the chair, but keeping it there seems to be (laughs) sometimes a challenge for me. I mean, I can come up with a lot of reasons to get that butt out of the chair. You know, I have to check something or I have to make a phone call or whatever it is. You You just get into that chair and you just are determined to just stay there, stay there, stay there with your writing. That's how you've done it. Is that right? Partly, yes. I mean, I respond really well to deadlines. And so Mm. once I have a deadline from a publisher or an editor at a magazine, I know exactly what it's going to take to get there. And I just am never late on those things. So that that helps with me to create that discipline. Right, right. That's awesome. And so with this particular book, what was the learning curve for you? What was different about writing this book from all the other writing that you've been doing? Yeah, I've, there were two things. Um, one is that I've never had a writing partner before. I've always written by myself. So working with somebody else was really interesting. And we we found a great rhythm with it eventually. And let me tell you. And then the second piece was Amy has been studying the sutras for so many years. She is so much more well-studied in them than I was and or am. So I feel like I always joke, I feel like writing this book with her was like getting my PhD in it. I'm fully up to speed. (laughs) So the way that we broke our writing process down is that we would read the sutra in another, from another text. And then Amy would essentially give a Dharma talk and kind of walk me through what she, you know, was thinking. And we'd pull out different themes and then I would write the first draft and then send everything over to her for edits and additions and things like that. And then we'd come together and go through it all and come up with the reflections and the journal prompts. So that was an interesting process and definitely different than other books that I've written. For those of our listeners who don't know, can you tell us what is a Dharma talk? 
Absolutely. So a Dharma talk is the talk that many yoga instructors give usually at the start of class. It typically includes a little philosophy or wisdom, something from the other pieces of a yoga practice that's not just the physical practice. And the idea is to share knowledge and give the class a focus. The word Dharma means purpose. So it's usually related to that. So it's kind of the the setup or the purpose for the class from a philosophical approach. So if someone listening to this has never been to a yoga class, what would you say are some of the key benefits from making this part of your life? So many. (laughs) So there are the physical benefits. A lot of people report sleeping better, less back pain, less stress, greater flexibility, greater balance, greater strength. So that can all help, especially with functional movement. The mindfulness practice of it, the benefits are very similar to meditation. And I mean, yoga is essentially meditation. I mean, that's ultimately what we're aiming for. So those benefits are the same. So less stress, less anxiety, it helps with depression, helps with sleep. It's, it's essentially a form of, of moving meditation. Right. Now, Kelly, I always ask a question on my show about bullying, whether you've ever been bullied or you ever bullied someone. Do you have a story you can share with us where maybe mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah, I know that this is something that you are really passionate about. So I've been giving it a lot of thought. I am very fortunate in that I have never really been bullied. I've had people get up in my face or say mean things, or it's not that I've had perfect relationships with people all all through my life. That is hardly the case. But I, I haven't really been bullied. And so I was thinking about the other piece of it, of your question. I think that mindfulness, at least the results, you know, what you see from mindfulness, especially with children is very subtle. And so you might not have an aha moment like, oh yes, that mindfulness practice helped me as a kid deal with bullying or helped my own kid deal with this tough situation. But what I do think it does is is that it gives us more empathy and, and any mindfulness practice helps us recognize and acknowledge and hopefully, I don't like the word control, but control our emotions. And I think that helps in any tough situation, whether it's stress or bullying or anxiety or, you know, even just taking a test. So I think mindfulness practices are are so, so, so important for kids. I just think one wants to be careful to put too much pressure on them to see this like big grand result. I I think it's really subtle with kids. I think it's really subtle with all of us, how it's impacting us, but I think with children in particular. Yeah, that's a good point, Kelly. Kelly, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Oh, okay. Well, there are two um, that are big influences. Amy, my co-author, definitely gave me the knowledge. And my son really on a day-to-day basis helps me (laughs) put it to the test. (laughs) Yeah, I totally understand that. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? I think I'm more aware of them. I think they're easier to recognize. Again, I don't know that I'm in any more or less control of them than I was before, but I definitely can spot them easier. 
Okay, well, breathing is a big part of what you do, of course. So tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness. Yeah, well, there's two ways. One, when I meditate, I tend to count the breath because it gives me something to focus on and that's necessary. And the other piece of it is I like to remember that one of the simplest things we can do to maintain or to lower our stress is simply make the exhale longer than our inhale. That triggers the parasympathetic nervous response and automatically calms us down. So that's something I do a lot. Mm, Good tip. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? And of course, Living the Sutras is your book, and that's an awesome book, Mindful Tribe, to get your hands on. But are there any other books you would recommend, Kelly? Absolutely. I love anything by Sharon Salzberg. Um, Her book, Real Happy, is a great one, um, especially if you're interested in starting with loving kindness meditation. Yeah, she is. She is wonderful. She really is. Can you share an app? which can help with mindfulness? Yeah, so I've played with a few. I like the Muse app that comes with the headband. Again, it helps me focus, you know, keeps me from getting distracted. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, and I also love Rod Stryker's app. Uh, It's called Sanctuary and he has some really beautiful guided meditations and guided yoga nidra, which is, super relaxing, restorative, like a meditative sleep. Oh, and it's called Sanctuary. I haven't tried that app. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Oh, great. Okay, Kelly, I'll check that out. And, uh, you know, Mindful Tribe, check out kellydenardo.com because that's one of Kelly's websites, (laughs) kellydenardo.com. Where else should we find you, Kelly? Yes. So kellygenardo.com will take you to all the places. And there's a link there to our podcast website, which is livingitpodcast.com. And I am on social media, mostly Instagram and Facebook. And both of those are at Kelly Gennardo. And of course, if you're ever in DC and you want to come by the studio, the studio is Past Tense and our website is pasttensestudio.com. That would be fun. That would be fun. And it's been fun having you here, Kelly. Thanks so much for being on Mindfulness Mode. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. All the best to you, Kelly. Thank you. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember, if you're thinking of launching your own podcast, you can get a free month at Podbean with its awesome pricing and fantastic stats. Uh, You can just do that by going to podbean.com slash podbeanmm, standing for mindfulness mode. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.